Well, it is good to be with you today. We are going to finish up in our series. We've been calling this the King in the Kingdom. Uh, We've been looking since January about the life of Jesus, and we've gone through the Gospel of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and and how these writers have told the story of Jesus. Well, today we're going to finish this off, and we're going to be in John chapter 21. I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me. I want to show you some of this today, John chapter 21. If you want to use the Bible sitting in front of you, we'll be on page 907. And then what I would hope you would do this next week is that you would read the last four chapters of the Gospel of John, 18, 19, 20, and 21, and that you would be in this story with us. And so I want to give you a little prelude of what you will be reading this week. We've been talking about how Jesus is a king, how he says there's a kingdom. You'll see this phrase in chapter 18, it's in your notes there, that Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. And that's a weird statement because we usually think of kings being of this world and kingdoms being of this world. And Jesus says, it's actually my kingdom's not of this world. And we're going to learn more about this today. This story where we're picking this up in John chapter 21, this is sometime after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are two weeks behind celebrating that. This story is sometime between the resurrection of Jesus Christ and 40 days later when he ascends to heaven. We don't know exactly where, but it's taken place in Galilee, which is about 70 miles north of Jerusalem. So the disciples have made their way back up to their hometowns uh, in Galilee. And so we're going to read this story today, and it is quite powerful. I, I think one of the things we could see from this is how to respond even with our own failures. We're going to talk about a failure of an individual here and how he responds and how Jesus brings healing to failures, how he brings uh, restoration to our failures. Even the last song that we sang together, some of you may have caught this and said, this is kind of a weird phrase, but it said, uh, O God of Jacob. It's like, What's that have to do? And I would just encourage you to read your Bibles, and you'll read about this in Genesis. I was thinking maybe it's chapter 37 or somewhere in there. There's a guy named Jacob, and his life is really much of failures. In fact, his name just means deceiver, like he had been deceiving all his life. God transforms Jacob, changes his name, and says, I'm actually going to use you, and out of you, you there's going to be this great family, and we're going to bless the nations. And so when we sing even God of Jacob, one who, a God who takes a guy like Jacob, a God who takes a man of failures and turns him into doing great things for the Lord. We're going to see this again today, and and I want you to know this of you, that you have had failures. I don't know hardly any of those failures. I've had failures, but God is a God who restores people with massive failures and then uses these people for his glory. And we're going to see this in this story today. Follow along as I read some of this. John chapter 21, starting at verse 1 says this, that after Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples, or after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, or some of your Bibles would say the Sea of Galilee. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that's John and James, and two other disciples were together. 
Simon Peter said to these six other guys, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. That might sound like some of your fishing trips, all right? So Peter, who has been a leader of this group, Jesus has said, you're going to be a leader of this group. He's an outspoken guy. At one point, sometime after the resurrection of Jesus, he says, I'm going fishing. And six other guys go, then I'm going with you. They go out in the boat. They fish all night. And it says they caught nothing. So gone fishing. What's happening here? Uh, let me give you some of the backstory. So here they are in Galilee. This is uh, on the Sea of Galilee. There's a lot of stories that have happened up there. Jesus has walked on this sea. They've been out there fishing before with some storms. But in this case, they haven't seen Jesus in a few days. We don't know exactly how long. It may have been two to three weeks, but they haven't seen Jesus. And so my question is, why are they fishing? Why does Peter say, let's go Fishing. I want to offer a couple of suggestions. It really doesn't tell us why they went fishing, but to help us understand the story, let's consider some ways. One, I think it was familiar to Peter. Peter was a fisherman. When Jesus called him three years prior, Jesus was out fishing. It was his dad's trade, and Jesus said, Come here, we're not going to fish after fish anymore. We're going to fish after people. I'm going to include you into a greater work than just catching fish. So I wonder if Peter. Is just saying, you know what, um, we haven't seen Jesus in a while, and something I used to be really good at a few years ago was fishing, let's go fishing. Could be that. Could be the fact that he's hungry. Could be saying, man, you know what, I don't have my debit card on me, uh, 7-Eleven's closed tonight, can't buy two corn dogs for 99 cents, and so let's just go out in a boat and catch some fish so we can have some food. It could have been as simple as that could have been that they were trying to make a buck and said, hey, um, we've kind of given up everything to follow Jesus, and we don't have a lot of money right now, and, but if we caught a load of fish, maybe we could sell that, and maybe we could make some money. Anyway, I started thinking about fishing. I thought, you know what? I don't have much of a fishing experience. Peter did. I did not. Growing up as a kid, about the only thing I remember is a picture I have of my dad having gone fishing, maybe with a neighbor guy, and dad brought home a couple fish to show me that towhead there with my brother, and we were like, whoa, these fish are cool, and I think dad took us fishing one time that I can think of. I don't know. I'd just rather play baseball than catch, you know, bloody fish, things like that. But sometime later, when I was an adult, some guys in the church said, let's go fishing. So we went up to Portland one day to uh, go salmon fishing. We got there real early in the morning. We fished for nine hours on the river. It was miserable. We didn't do any, uh, we did fishing, but we just didn't do any catching all right, you ever try that? We, we were just out there for nine hours. It was cold, a lot of fishing, no catching. And I'm like, why do you guys like this? This is all of a sudden they're like, fish on. Ooh, and they gave me the, uh, what's that thing called? Pole. And, uh, and they said, you could bring this in. I'm like, oh man, pressure on. And I'm bringing this thing in. And finally we brought in this beautiful salmon. I was so excited. I'm kissing that thing. I'm like, we got one. Nine hours, one fish. I'm like, I don't know if this is kind of fun, but maybe not. 
Then a couple years later, they said, well, let's go out in the ocean, catch some bigger fish. There's actually more fish in the ocean. So Chris and I got to go one day, and we caught some halibut. And uh, that was pretty impressive to drag up that big old monster and uh, to eat that. That was good. So really, those three pictures sum up my fishing career. So I don't know a whole lot about fishing But as I'm trying to figure out why Peter says, let's go fishing, I wonder if part of the thought was he was waiting for Jesus. He had been told, you go up from Jerusalem up here to the north, 70 miles, and Jesus is going to meet you up there. And I imagine he's looking at his cell phone, and he's going, no text from Jesus about where we're supposed to meet, you know, and he hasn't heard from Jesus in a long time, and yet he said he's coming here. And I wonder if in this waiting process, Peter struggles with waiting. Do you ever struggle with waiting? You're like, okay, I'm not sure when I'm going to get this job. I'm not sure when this healing's going to take place. I'm not sure when this relationship's going to get better. I, I just, we don't know how to wait very well. I don't think Peter knew how to wait very well. He usually spoke up so quickly. I know that he wasn't a great waiter in that sense. And so he said, let's just go fish. Forget waiting. Who knows? Jesus might even come out to us on the water, but I I can't wait around any longer. Let's go do something. And Peter went and did something. And I wonder while he's out there that night, fishing, not catching, no fish, I wonder what's going through his mind. I wonder if Peter's thinking, you know what? Jesus, I gave up fishing. I followed him for three years, saw some amazing things heard some amazing things from him, saw him crucified a while back. That was quite freaky. I'm not sure I'll ever get over that one, but I saw him raised from the dead. That's quite amazing. But he said he was a king, and he said that there was a kingdom, and I, I just don't see this right now. I mean, here we are in a boat, and I don't know when he's coming back again, and I just wonder if he's just processing king and a kingdom, and I, I don't see it happening. And I wonder if you and I think like that, too. Jesus says he's a king with a kingdom, and I just don't see it happening. I wonder if Peter, while he's on the boat, also thinks, you know what? Right before he was crucified, I had a conversation with him. And this conversation was, I said, Jesus, I'll do anything for you, man. I would die for you. I'll follow you wherever. If they come after you, they got to go through me. And I said all of this stuff, and Jesus said, actually, you're going to deny me, and... I did three times in one night. Someone said, do you know Jesus? And I'm like, no. And somebody else asked, do you know Jesus? And I'm like, no. And somebody else asked if I knew Jesus? And I'm like, no. And I wonder if Peter's thinking through this while he's out on this boat saying, man, I am a failure. I mean, I, I followed this guy, and, but I have totally failed. And I wonder if you and I, when we're all alone on a boat or whatever it is, just wonder, man, I've failed Jesus quite a bit in my life. And so he went out fishing. Maybe this is two to three weeks since he's seen Jesus. We don't know that, but it's been a while. But what I want you to hear from those first few verses is that night they caught nothing. It's important, I think, that John writes this, and we'll read more of this story. But that night, they caught nothing. Here is a trained fisherman. He's going out. He's doing what he's familiar with. That night, they caught nothing. Now, go to verse 4, if you would. 
Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, hey, you guys, do you have any fish? They answered, no. And he said to them, well, then cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Let's just stop with that. Imagine you're out there, you're fishing all night. I imagine you've tried so many different techniques. You hear some guy on the shore say, put your net on the other side of the boat and you'll catch some. And you're like, yeah, right. What do you know, guy on the shore? Come on. If you had a boat, you'd be out here with us. What do you know about fishing? They got to think this is crazy that someone would say this. What does that guy over there know? The guy on the shore. The problem is, for them, the guy over there on the shore is Jesus. He is not only the Son of God, but he is God. He's the God who's always existed. He's the God that made fish. Now, they don't understand this at all, but when they hear this voice, they got to think, this is crazy. Maybe even uttered some words like, blankety-blank guy telling us how to fish. All right? And as I'm thinking about this, the ways of God, because this is God who is speaking to them, the ways of God are difficult to understand, aren't they? At times, it is difficult to trust him. Like, seriously, you're asking me to do that, God? Go to verse 6 again. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some fish. This blows me away. So they did it. They cast the net. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. I, I think they become so desperate here that the guy on the shore's advice actually seems good, even though they don't know who this is. And when they do this, they catch fish. Consider this. All night long, on their own, they caught how much? Nothing. On their own, they catch nothing. When they listen to Jesus, though they didn't even understand it was Jesus quite yet, when they listen to him, when they obey him, jackpot, all right, a net full of fish. Now, I don't think this is the main idea of this story, but I do want to bring this idea up. That Jesus can take my failures and turn them into successes when I trust him and obey. Would you write this down? Because this principle is true. This story tells us a little bit, but I don't think this is the purpose of the story. That Jesus can take my failures, my night of fishing where I get nothing and turn it into success when I trust him, when I obey him. You and I, we try to do so many things on our own. We try to make things right on our own. And we find out all night long or for a period of time, nothing. This applies to so much of our lives. I was thinking about this. Some might be marriage or a relationship. It's like, I'm trying to find the right person. I'm trying to make this all right. And you've been doing this for a night, for a season. Nothing. And yet God says, if you would trust me, if you would obey me, let me turn this into some success. Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's an addiction you have. And you say, you know what? I'm going to do this in my own power, in my own strength. I can do this. I'm smart enough. I don't need anybody's help. 
And you've been doing that for a night. You've been doing that for a season. And you're finding out there's no results there. But if I would trust Jesus, if I would obey him, I'm telling you there's success in this from Jesus. Maybe it's a ministry. You say, you know what, I try to do a ministry on my own. And when I do this, it becomes a night or a season. And there's nothing that's coming from this. But if I would trust him, if I would obey him, all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, he turns it into a success. I got to tell you, I would struggle with this at times. I do. Where I sit there and go, okay, God, my church, if we do this and this and this, and if I work hard and do this and this, and I find that I've been fishing all night, and the fish that I have is zero until I trust him again and obey him And then all of a sudden, it's like, man, it really had nothing to do with my fishing expertise. I just trusted him and obeyed him. Now go to verse 6 again, if you would. Jesus said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they did. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John who's writing this, therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. I figured it out. The guy who told us to do that, where we got all this fish, it's from the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work. I don't know how naked he is as he's fishing, but he was. And he threw himself into the sea. Sounds like Peter, right? The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards off. Goes on to say in the story that they get over there, and when they get there, Jesus actually has barbecued fish for them for breakfast. He didn't even need their fish. They got some fish, but somehow he already has some fish. And he's got breakfast for them. And they count their fish, and they're like, man, we got 150-something, 53, 57, large fish? Wow. And they eat, and they have a good time. And then Jesus, after they've had breakfast together, he pulls Peter aside. This is the leader, Peter, the one who was, had been so braggadocious, saying, oh, I would never fail you. I'll die for you, Jesus. This braggadocious Peter, Jesus pulls him aside. This Peter who had failed Jesus, Jesus pulls him aside and says this. Go down to verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? I don't know if he's talking about, do you love me more than these guys, or do you love me more than these fish, or I don't know that it matters, but do you love me more than? And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, well, then feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. I think what Jesus is saying here is, Peter, you've been included into a great kingdom, a kingdom that's not of this world. You're no longer just a fisherman. Oh, it might be fun to do that at times, but that's not your calling. I have called you to fish for, not just for fish, but to fish for men. I don't want you to forget this. You've been trained, you've been called to care for my people. I think if we said it this way, we could say Jesus wants Peter back in action. Peter, we're not just going to go catch fish. I've called you for a much greater kingdom work. 
kingdom of God. I'm calling you into action. I could hear Jesus as if he were saying, Peter, listen, I know that you promised to follow me and die for me. I get that. And Peter, I know that you failed me by denying me three times. But Peter, I want you to know this. You're still the man I called to lead this band of followers. You. You. You think you're a failure. I'm telling you, you're still the person I want to lead this group. Don't call yourself a failure. You're not. As I was reading some of these words by Jesus, I I wonder just how many times you and I allow our failure and our sin to derail us from God's greater work. How many times you sit there and go, okay, I'm following Jesus, and then you fail, and then you relapse, and then you fall off the wagon, then you sin against somebody, sin against God, whatever it might be, and then you say, oh, God doesn't want me anymore. I'm on the junk heap. I wonder how often you and I live in defeat and not in the victory of the good news, the gospel that says, listen, God does not base you by your performance, but by the performance of Jesus Christ, his son. When you sit there and say, oh man, I failed, I sinned, I did this. I wonder how often we're living in that instead of this good news, this gospel of, wait a second, I'm loved, I'm forgiven, I'm paid for, I'm a son or a daughter of the king. Which life do we live in? You see, Jesus was trying to restore Peter, and I think this is one of the things he's doing. He's trying to restore us. But you and I, we keep beating ourselves up. We do this at times. Go back to verse 16, if you would. He said to Peter a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? A second time. Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, then tend my sheep. Get back in action, what I've called you to do. Verse 17, he said to Peter a third time, Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me? Now watch this. Peter was grieved. Oh, my. I know where he's getting at this now. Okay, I know why he's asking me this. Look at this. It says, because he said to him a third time, do you love me? Three times, I get it, Jesus. All right, I failed you not too long ago, three times. You're asking, okay, I get, oh, he was grieved. He's not just embarrassed, he's grieved. His heart's broken like, I am such a failure. I mean, I was following you for three years, and I saw so much, and I got to be a part of so much, and I'm a loser. I relapsed. I failed. I wonder if you and I feel like this. Peter's grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And so Jesus said, get back in action. Feed my sheep. I think this then may have been the reason that Peter went fishing. Peter saying, okay, wait a second. I don't know where Jesus is, but I know I've failed him. That's the one thing I do know. And so I'm going to go do something I'm good at so that I won't fail. I used to be a fisherman. I can throw a net in the water. I can do something, and then I can feel good about myself. So let's go fishing. (laughs) How good is he? The Lord keeps the fish from him. 
I wonder if you and I, after we fail or when we fail, if we go hide somewhere and try to do something familiar so that we can start feeling good about ourselves. Maybe we get busy at something. It's like, okay, I have failed God. I have failed my family. I failed church. But I can go do this, and I can work my rear off, and I can make money. I'm good at that. Sometimes it's getting busy. Sometimes this is, what, just medicating our problem. I wonder if Peter's just medicating. You know what? I'm going to forget that I failed Jesus by working hard at doing something I'm good at. (laughs) Jesus said, well, I'm going to keep the fish from you. Ha ha. All right. They fished all night. They caught nothing. I wonder if we're something like this. We're thinking, you know what, at least I'm good at something. Sometimes I, I do this. I, part of my job is to share the word of God with you. One of the things I'm doing is planting seeds in your heart every Sunday. And the plan is, that, and I ask God to do this, as I plant seeds in the heart, God, would you prepare the soil so that those seeds can go in the heart so they can produce a great crop in them? Now, one of my problems is is that the crop doesn't produce usually by Sunday night or Monday morning. And so it's by Sunday night or Monday morning, sometimes I get discouraged. I'm like, man, I don't think I did a really good job of planting those seeds. And then all of a sudden I start thinking, you know what? I'm a failure. So let's go do something I'm good at. So I go play pickleball against a bunch of older people, and they tell me how young I am. They tell me how <laughs> athletic I am. I'm like, that's great competing against an 85-year-old. Or I go in my backyard, and I clean some things, and it's like, at least I can see some production there, right? Because I don't always see it in this realm of faith. I have the same struggles you would. It's like, okay, when I feel lowly about myself... I go back to doing something so I can feel good about myself. And there are different ways we can medicate that. Here's a question I'd like us all to consider, and it's this. Do my feelings about my failures keep me from being what God has called me to be? Yeah? Do your feelings about your failures keep you from being what God has called you to be? Peter, his feelings of his failures, like, man, I am such a... A miserable wretch. So I cannot lead these guys in faith, so I'll lead them in fishing. I'll show them how great I am, and then, oh, man, I can't even catch a fish. But I think you and I would do this as well, because I do this. I've got feelings of failure of whatever it might be. But does that keep me from what God has called me to be? Yeah. Here's the situation, though. God has called me to be his son through faith in Jesus Christ, and Jesus has paid my debt. Regardless of my feelings, that's the truth. Jesus has paid for me. Jesus wants me in a restored relationship with him. He wants me back in action regardless of my feelings. Here's another question for you. Will we commit our lives to Jesus, or will we just have a pity party for ourselves? My wife's good at that. She's like, get out and do something. I think you're having a little pity party for yourself, all right? Or will I commit to Jesus and say, you know what? I'm following him. Peter, I think he's having a pity party. 
Let's go catch some fish. Here's what Jesus wants from you. Jesus wants you to reclaim your identity as a son or a daughter of the king. You say, uh, I've sinned. I've failed. I was a bad husband, a bad wife, a bad employee. I was a bad parent. You're beating yourself up with that identity. Jesus says, listen, reclaim your identity as a son or a daughter of the king. That's what Jesus wants. That's why he's talking with Peter. Let's reclaim our identity and our purpose. The enemy wants you to beat yourself up so that you would feel miserable about yourself so that you would just go spend the rest of your life fishing. And by the way, you will probably catch nothing. Peter has this choice. Do I return to Jesus? Do I confess to him? Do I acknowledge him so that I can get restored? Or do I stay stuck? Do I stay stuck and live in guilt and shame and defeat and just try to catch fish? Now, by the power of God's Spirit, Peter chooses to follow Jesus. When he has this encounter with Jesus and Jesus says, listen, you love me, I love you, okay, get back in the game. Let's check again, let's check again. Okay, let's get back in the game. Peter's choice is I'm going to follow Jesus. Somehow he did not condemn me right there. He embraces me and gets me back in the game. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, you have this relationship with Jesus. When you fail, when you sin, when you mess up, whatever that looks like, you go back to Jesus, you let him know that, and he'll say, okay, I love you. Sin forgiven, debt paid, let's get back in the game. I've sent you into the world to be my ministers. Peter becomes a great leader then in the early Christian church. We're going to read about that. After we finish the Gospel of John, we're going to be reading the book of Acts, the actions of Christ followers. All of a sudden, in the early Christian church, Peter becomes a standout leader. All right? He does because he goes to Jesus. Instead of living in shame, by the Spirit of God, he grows up, he matures, and he becomes this great leader. Not because he's amazing, but because Jesus is amazing in him. And on this day we're looking at in John 21, he's got a choice. Do I go back to fishing, or do I embrace my brokenness and my failure, and do I follow Jesus? It's the same choice you and I have today. It's the same choice you and I have every single day. Living for victorious king, the victorious king. It's a difficult task. It takes courage. It it takes courage to go, okay, wait a second. I have messed up. Everything in me says I should run from God and hide from God. But Jesus actually wants to talk to me, and he wants to reconfirm his love for me, and he wants to use even me. Yeah. Takes courage to follow this victorious king. So Peter becomes a great leader in the early church. I'm going to ask that you turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. I want you to read with me something that Peter says to the church after he has matured through this process. Peter continues to fail and sin and make mistakes, but every time he does, he keeps returning to the Lord. 
Now, he probably goes and fishes once in a while for fun, but he says, you know what? When I fail, I'm not going fishing. I'm going to Jesus. And Peter had come to understand that Jesus, well, he's the king of this kingdom. It's not of this world. And he writes this message, and I'm going to ask you to follow along and read some of this with me. Peter, he grows in maturity to the point that now he's passionately pointing people to Jesus. He's like, man you got to see this. Jesus, he forgives and he restores. Now let me tell you about him. And he fearlessly says these things about Jesus. Let me have you look at these in 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm going to start at verse 6. He says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, He may exalt you. Now, Peter understood this about himself. I have failed, but Jesus restored me. And that is turning failure into success. Peter's writing this saying, listen, I want you to know that I had failed God. He used me into great success, but here are the keys in following this king. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Here's King Jesus. He's the powerful king. I want you to know this. I want you to know your place in the kingdom. I want you to know your place in the kingdom. You are not in charge. You are not God. He is God. Know your place in the kingdom. And Peter learned this. He learned over and over, Jesus is king. I'm a child of the king. Jesus, he's the source of life. I'm given life from him. Here are a couple phrases I'd like you to write in knowing your place in the kingdom. Self-reliance is, a, is not part of this kingdom. Peter started understanding this. I cannot rely on my own. When I do, I fail. Jesus said things like this. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Self-reliance, not part of this kingdom. Here's another uh, word for us, churchgoers especially, self-righteousness does not fit into this kingdom. Self-righteousness does not fit into this kingdom. And that's why Peter says, you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. You churchgoers who act like you got everything going on, you humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. So that he, the king, that he would lift you up. You don't have to lift yourself up. He, He will do this. You know your place in the kingdom. As a son or a daughter of the king. Complete surrender to Jesus is the answer in this upside-down kingdom. This is what Peter had learned. This is what surrender to him. All right. Take your failures. Don't go fishing. Go to Jesus. Surrender to him, and you find there's a compassionate Savior on the other end saying, Okay, I love you. You keep humbling yourself before him, and he will lift you up. You humble yourself. Maybe it's even today. You humble yourself for the very first time and say, Jesus, I need a Savior. That takes humility to get there. It takes humility to say, Jesus, I can't fight this addiction on my own. Jesus, I can't solve this marriage problem on my own. Jesus, I can't get out of this jam on my own. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand so that he would lift you up. 
Peter's speaking from experience to us. Verse 7 says, Casting also all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Peter had come to understand that God has a very deep love for us. He has a deep love for you. And you can tell him everything. You're not hiding it. You can tell him. And I think Peter in this is saying, I want you to rest in God's care. Rest in his care. I went on a boat thinking that I could maybe hide from Jesus. Just I wanted to numb my pain. But when I went to him and he confronted me on some things, he actually embraced me and included me back in his work. Rest in his care for you. Tell him about your problems. Tell him about your concerns. Rest in his care. Verse 8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. I think this is one of the things that Peter came to understand is that in this spiritual kingdom, there's a constant battle. Jesus told me about this battle, and I have matured to understand that there's a constant battle going on for my heart. I think he could say it this way, watch for your enemy and resist him. Peter learned this. He learned that the enemy wants to destroy him. The enemy wants to destroy his faith in God. And Peter learned, I can, by the power of God, I can resist him. I think he goes on to say this and saying, listen, I want you to know that everybody else is struggling with problems too. It's not just you. The enemy would like you to think, listen, you're the only one who has this problem. So why don't you have a pity party? Because you're the only one in the world that God does not care about right now. I think Peter says, listen, you watch out for the enemy. He's trying to destroy you. But you remember that your brothers, your sisters are going through similar troubles all over. It's not just you. This week, I had a pastor friend come and visit me, and he asked, how are you doing? My first thought was, oh, well, I got this problem and this problem and this problem. I started thinking through this, and I said, well, I'm doing good because at this point, I don't have colon cancer like one of my pastor friends. I'm grateful for that. I said, here's another problem. I'm grateful that right now my wife's not in a coma in a third world country. Okay? I have some troubles, but man, I'm grateful that. I'm grateful that the elders of our church are getting along with me and not against me. All right? I'm, I'm doing all right. Now, the enemy would want me to have a little pity party for myself and think about all the things, but then I started thinking, I'm like, I want to pray for my brother who's got cancer. I want to pray for my brother whose wife's in trouble. I want to pray for my brother who's not getting along with his church leadership. And I think Peter is saying here, you need to watch, church, for the enemy. Resist him. And consider that you're not the only one getting picked on here. Life is difficult. Look at that passage. Firm in your faith. Firm in your faith. Yes, that God cares for me. That if I would humble myself before him, he would lift me up. 
Go to verse 10. Then he says this, and after you've suffered a little while, not if, when, you, you have done this, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore. He himself will confirm. He himself will strengthen and establish you. The idea here is that God is going to pour out undeserved gifts to you. He is pouring out grace to you. Do not forget this. And you trust in God's care. Trust. Trust him. Trust him. You're going to suffer for a while. It's going to happen. But the God of all grace, who has called you into eternal glory, he will restore. He will confirm. He will strengthen. He will establish you. Trust in God's grace. Now, many of you in this room would say, you know what? I've trusted God with my eternal soul. I just have a hard time trusting him today, right now, with this problem. Peter's saying, let me just tell you, as one who has failed against, who's failed Jesus, been restored by Jesus, trust his grace in your life. Trust his grace. That same God will restore you from your failures and your hurts. That God will confirm that you are his beloved child. He will. That God will strengthen your weak body, your weak spirit. He will. That God will establish you for his glory and for the sake of others. And the question is, will you trust him? I look at this and think, Peter, he's matured quite a bit over the years, hasn't he? From this guy who feels like a failure, who gets restored by Jesus, and then he's saying, let me just tell you, here's what it's all about. As he concludes this, look at verse 11. As he's reflecting on Jesus, he says, now to him, King Jesus, be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. I think he's realizing, here's here's what I want you to hear, church. King Jesus, he rules over his everlasting kingdom. He does. This one that I failed years ago, I kind of wanted to run from him, from hide from him, to medicate that so that I wouldn't think about it. When I reconnected with him, he included me because he is the king of an everlasting kingdom. He's the victorious king. He rules over his kingdom. And so because of that, I, I... Continue to humble myself and know my place in his kingdom. I rest in his care. I watch for the enemy and resist him. I trust in his grace because King Jesus rules over his kingdom. I'm encouraged by these words of Peter. I'm encouraged by this story of a man who failed greatly. With Jesus, there's restoration. With Jesus, there's let's get back in the game. And then we look later, and Peter's passionately doing this, saying, as one who has matured in this relationship, as one who's been empowered by God, I can tell you, this is the best possible way to live. Look at that one more time with me, if you would. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. 
And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's take a moment to reflect. Ways in which you have failed Jesus and you've sinned against him. And he says, I I paid for that. Debt has been paid. Have you received forgiveness? If you have, don't run from me, is what Jesus is saying. Maybe today you're saying, I'm not sure if I've received forgiveness. He offers it to you today. You say, Jesus, I need you. Humble yourself before him. And he forgives your sin and he includes you into family. And he washes you clean and says, let's get into this game. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this picture that we see in the life of Peter. He failed you as we all do. You loved him enough not to leave him in that. You wouldn't let him just go out and catch fish and get lost in that. In fact, you kept the fish away so that they would be desperate for you. Jesus, I I thank you for your warm embrace to Peter. I thank you for your warm embrace to each of us. You confront us. you, You call us out, but... You love us. You want to include us again. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters and for myself in this, that you would help us as ones who fail you. God, would our feelings of our failures not keep you away, but would the truth that there is forgiveness, that there is acceptance, would that cause us to draw near to you where we would sense your embrace? so that you would use us again for your glory. God, we are a weak people. We are either self-reliant or self-righteous, but we struggle. And I ask that you would help us to see our proper place in your kingdom, that we would humble ourselves before you, the sons and daughters of the king. And that we would rest in your grace and we would trust in your grace. So I thank you for being here today. I thank you for the seeds that you have planted through your word, through your Holy Spirit. And I ask that you would produce a great crop in our hearts on this. That you would cause us to be people who trust you in all things. That we would mature just as Peter did for your glory and for the sake of others. And we pray this. In the name of our powerful Savior, Jesus, amen. Will you stand with us as we sing one more song?